Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Succession, uh, your weekly podcast where we recap what's just happened on, uh, I guess, everyone's favorite show at this point. Not everyone, but a lot of people. Uh, I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Sonia Soraya. So we're here today to talk about episode five of season three, which is kind of confusingly titled Retired Janitors of Idaho. Um but before we get into the meat of the episode, uh, we, as always, want to turn to our virtual mailbag. Uh, that's uh, stuff coming into us from stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Please send us any uh, questions, theories, anything like that. Um, and our subtext, uh, which is a text service you can use um, if you go to... And on our subtext, which is uh, a messaging service that we use, uh, you can go to joinsubtext.com slash stillwatching to sign up, or you can text 213 652 Six seven one seven. Uh, Sonia, I believe we have a text that you wanted to to respond to uh, today. We do. We have. Uh, we got a couple of texts. Um, I'm so it was so thrilling to not be met with several dozen messages telling us we missed something. Um, so thank you for that, guys. Um, one uh one of our uh, listeners, Malcolm, wanted to ask uh what our schedule is for the podcast, like how far in advance we record. Um, it was a little tricky uh, before the show started airing. We were we kind of did a couple in a row just to try to get some episodes banked and stuff. Right now, what we're doing is recording um, midweek. So today is Wednesday for us. Um, so we're in between the last episode and the upcoming episode. 
Um, the interviews are like all over the place because uh, we're very dependent on talent. And then because we have the holidays coming up, we're, you know, going to be moving stuff around a little too. Uh, so uh, please, please accept our illusion of temporality. But <laughs> things <laughs> yeah. things are always a little haywire behind the scenes. Um, yeah, and then- we're trying to keep as like up to date with like emails and texts and all that uh, as we can, you know, as it pertains to like last week's episode. But sometimes there might be a little bit of delay because... Um, you know, we're it, it's a v- very busy time of year for everyone, uh, including us. And then we have one more message about last week's episode uh, with our, our whole digression about uh, classicism and succession with Sporus and Nero. Um, and uh, listener John said that he thinks that Tom's telling Greg that story because he can't say he would kick Shiv down the stairs and replace her in some way. But he is feeling, I think, a uh, a desire, maybe one he can't articulate, to betray Shiv and and maybe jump ship or or make off for himself in the way that Greg has. At least it looked like Greg has last season, um, which I I think is an interesting note because I've heard a lot of people speculate about Tom and whether or not Tom is going to flip on the Roys. Um, and I guess this episode doesn't really give us a lot of a lot of meat in that direction. Um, but he is a big liability for them, and he is cracking. <laughs> so that yeah. is definitely something to keep an eye out on. Uh, that's funny because um, through our email, um, a listener named Osnat uh, wrote something similar. He said, mm. "You guys totally missed a big point. For Tom, Greg is someone he can say and do things he wouldn't dare display in front of the other characters. And mm. what he basically tried to say is, at that moment, he is fantasizing about killing his wife." Mm. uh shiv um i guess yeah that's a dark read of it but he's also fantasizing about impregnating her in this episode but i think as you mentioned from your research sonia that when nero did kill his wife she was pregnant isn't that right (laughs) yes yep kicked her to death while pregnant no nbd so dark very dark dark. stuff um but yeah i think we are seeing certainly in this episode a big um i don't know if it's an advancement a lateral move or a shift um, in the the Tom and and Shiv uh, relationship, um, a sweet moment all, immediately spoiled by uh, Shiv's kind of overall distaste for her husband. <laughs> um, so we also had um, an email uh, about uh, another character who is only mentioned in this episode, um, but uh, that's Marsha, uh, which I think is uh, kind of uh, always a good character to keep in mind. Um, yeah, of course. You have to keep. Uh, you always have to keep your eye out on Marsha. He, I'm a boss, he, and it, she could get up to anything. Um, I, and yeah. I, I think uh, we had a, a few weeks ago. Someone pointed out that all of the negotiations that she was uh, initiating in order to like get back with Logan were all references to stuff that had happened in the first season. Um, a lot of financial details that definitely had gone over my head. So, what did our what did our listeners say to us? So, Louisa wrote. Um... That uh, she has a theory that Marsha is who takes it all in the end. She has a seat on the board. The pilot is Logan trying to guarantee her too when she, when he dies. She's always inserting herself in important conversation. And she has this kind of quid pro quo loyalty that I see Logan admiring. Uh, and I think, you know, it is telling that in this episode when Logan is in his unmedicated fugue state, whatever you want to call it, uh, he um, he calls out for her. He calls Shiv. Marsha, you know, and yeah. um, so she is still in his mind, even if we've kind of only barely seen her this season. Yeah, looking forward to more on that front. But just just because of what we've seen of Marsha, I uh, I believe that she could come away on top. And I and I kind of would root for her, honestly. 
Um, so this, so this episode, uh, I, I can't really make heads or tails of retires, retired janitors of Idaho. It must be mentioned in the episode somewhere or, or is like another conference that is happening somewhere. I don't know. Um, maybe somebody's retirement pension. Um, but this, this episode is all the Waystar Royco shareholders meeting. Um, it's, it's kind of, it, it feels a lot like the third episode where, there's just this big moment, you know, the town hall meeting in that one, and this one's this big moment with the shareholders, um, and kind of everything falling to bits around the Roy family needing to maintain some sort of uh, n- being a sort of functional corporate entity and and sort of largely failing. Um, so, you know, at the very end of last week's episode, we had Logan in the midst of like a real health, if not exactly a health scare, certainly an indication of how frail his uh, his health is. Um, and because that episode was set like out by the ocean in the meadow, um, you did get this sense of sort of like nature kind of encroaching on, as it inevitably does, on on the sort of foibles and frailties of the humans at play. Um, this episode has so much of that same thematic resonance, but is not outside. It's inside this big corporate, you know, the big corporate center. But it's still death is still lurking around the corner here. So. What we find out fairly early on in the episode, and I just think we should start with Logan because his plot is kind of the uh, is kind of the the the, the uh, catalyst for everything else. Um, he's turns out that he's on antibiotics. Didn't want anyone to know about his antibiotics because he's afraid of people seeing him weak, and so ends up getting very confused. Starts maybe delusional, maybe but it's maybe he's hallucinating or maybe he's just kind of. Um, you know, de- de- sort of like a dementia thing where his his wires just seem sort of crossed and he's like he's trying to talk to Shiv and he says Marsha's name instead. And it's in the midst of this very crucial deal that Waystar Royco is trying to make with Bainsbury Capital, which is the two Sandys, daughter Sandy and dad Sandy and Stewie, who we know, you know, as and Josh Aronson, too, I assume, who we know as these like big financial players Um that that if they took over, they would prevent the Roy family from having family control over Waystar Royco. Um, and so, yeah, Logan is supposed to be making all of these decisions and partway through, but maybe not soon enough, they begin to realize he's not in his right mind, can't take care of himself, needs to pee all of the time. And uh, yeah, and then everyone has to scramble. <laughs> yeah, they scramble in such a way that even though the the series opens with um you know the first season with Logan having the stroke and being incapacitated and everyone's wondering okay who succeeds him hence the title of the show they really don't seem prepared for this inevitability. No, you know no. in this episode watching them realize that like oh dad is not himself he's a wall uh they. They clearly don't have a plan because they've been so busy trying to, in their mind, save the company that uh, they haven't really allowed themselves to consider uh, the, the the fact that Logan is older and it will someday be gone and his health might be compromised, not just because of this incident. He had a stroke, you know, um, not too long ago in the show's timeline. Um, you know, this made me think um, I was lucky enough uh, last week to go see on Broadway um, this play, The Lehman Trilogy, mm. uh, which is from an Italian playwright, um, but has been adapted very beautifully into English. Um, and the, the production is directed by Sam Mendes, and it follows three actors on stage the whole time for three and a half hours, uh, playing many, many characters, but at the at core, really narrating the story of these three brothers from Germany who moved to Alabama in the 1840s and started a cotton business basically 
and then that went on to become the Lehman Brothers Bank, which obviously um, was one of the big ones to uh, fail in um, the 2008 financial crisis. Um, and what is so interesting is that you get into the early part of the 20, uh, 20th century, and that's when the family, well, kind of mid 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 century actually, um, when the family loses uh, their position in the company, they they there's no longer a Lehman uh, mm. in in the the sort of main office um, after a certain point, and um, Lehman did survive for another uh, roughly forty something years, um, but it but it, it it the name it bore was only kind of symbolic. It, there wasn't actually a Lehman in there, so. It's just interesting to, to think about that play, which people should see if they're in New York um, and have the, the, the time, um, about family companies and mm. about what it means for the family to either just kind of fade away or be pushed out. And um, clearly, uh, the Roy family in this episode, in the form of Logan's mortality, is realizing their own more metaphorical mortality in terms <laughs> of uh, th- this company may forever bear uh, their name in, in Royco, but they... Def- are not guaranteed to be involved. Yeah, I I really liked that this episode had the parallel of uh, Big Sandy. Um, there no one in the episode uses these terms, but I don't know how else to to, to distinguish between two a father and son both named Sandy. Um, but uh, Big Sandy, Dad Sandy, um, is uh also you know d- d- uh, disabled, but more maybe more outwardly, very obviously uh impaired, and uh so everything you hear from him. Uh, throughout all of these tense note, uh, negotiations is just him sort of whispering or kind of like groaning <laughs> into his daughter's ear, little Sandy, uh, which is Hope, Hope Davis. And, um, it's, uh, it's, it's so weird. Like at, at some point, you know, Roman says, and he's being very clever and proud of himself. He's like, Oh, it's just like a meat puppet. You just have a meat puppet who is your, uh, kind of like the, the fully articulated, um, for, uh, front of the money it's just you have an embodiment of the money and you have to keep him alive and ask him how to do things because that's how it has worked for so long but both of these people are falling apart because that's what happens to human beings <laughs> eventually you will die but none of the no no one is even able to confront that um and i was i mean i was especially interested in like uh i mean it's such a it's a such a devastating i mean aside from how funny it is because it is funny it is just everyone is 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 losing every like logan loses in this situation the kids lose in this situation the company loses in this situation i mean assuming that you think that the roy family should be in charge of waystar royco but it just sort of feels like all of these um it really feels like the illustration of the gerontocracy you know where there's like a massive amount of power and wealth concentrated to the very oldest people in in this entire meeting um, and I think that, uh, you know, to, to move on to some of the other characters here. So like both Roman and, and Jerry have like a really a great, uh, a lot of stuff happening in this episode. But one thing that really struck me is how, uh, the illusion of Logan's control and Logan's like say so his kind of like his sort of overseeing on high and making sure that everything is okay is a real security blanket for both of these characters in particular. Um, Roman seems to really fall apart when he realizes that dad is no longer like 
doing the sort of like uh big power moves and like muscling his way into things and saying to like go fuck them all and stuff and he's actively like on the side roman's like yeah dad say to just fuck them all that's like what you do and you know what you're doing and you're always gonna win it's like roman calm down this guy is like on the threshold of death (laughs) yeah yeah roman has always sort of pathetically sadly clinged to this um notion of his father as this uh towering all you know omnipotent omniscient figure um and and logan does function as that at times but uh clearly when faced with his frailty and his humanity uh roman freaks out he keeps insisting uh, you know that he that oh you know he's got a plan he's he's working he knows something we don't he's always six steps ahead which i have to imagine in the writer's room for this episode there had to have been some conversation about the way trump was spoken about you know, mm, mm. oh, no, no, this is all strategy. He's playing 3D chess. That man was not playing any chess. He wasn't <laughs> even playing checkers, you know. Uh, but but you can build up this mythos. In in Logan's case, it's earned uh, to some extent. He's been a very shrewd and ruthless and obviously successful businessman. But um, this kind of supernatural thing that, pe- that, they're, that Roman especially is imbuing into him in this episode uh, is real desperation in the same way that we... Um, you know, in a lot of a lot of culture, we sort of put uh, perhaps an undue uh, mythical kind of force into older people. You know, they're 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 all they're all seeing, all knowing, wise, uh, sort of connected to some other realm. And and I don't know, maybe that is true for some people, but like I think it's a lot of that is just protection against uh, what is so scary about people uh, at that age, right? About being and, and about having to. I, I think like with with all of the kids, you see this in different ways, but about like having to step up to the occasion. That's like so much of what this whole episode is, is like, what if your security blanket is gone or what if the person who is in charge is gone and you are now the person in charge? I think it's like generationally, this is something that I've thought a lot about because I think um, I think like demographically, if you look at just like who has um, a concentration of wealth and power and like management positions, or even if you look at the breakdown of like the age of people who are holding public office, who are in the Senate, um, out the millennial generation and certainly the Gen Z generation is like disproportionately underrepresented, even though we're we're adults, we could be senators, we could be heading companies, but it's full. All of those spots are full by other people. And I think there's sort of an interesting tension there of being, on one hand, like, oh, well, at least someone else is in charge, so I don't have to be in charge. And there's, like, frustration there, but a little bit of, like, oh, thank God it's not me, that's sort of yanked away in this in this episode. Um, so I um, was very keyed into, obviously, all of the Roman and Jerry stuff that's happening in this uh, throughout this episode. I have to say, they really also, this episode is also very much playing up the romantic quality of it just even in the way it's like filmed and directed between these two they are having a whole plot line that nobody else like they're 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 talking to each other and nobody else is even acknowledging it um it's like the it's the stuff of fan fiction dream (laughs) i'm telling you i am telling you the fans must be losing it over this episode um but i really liked it at the same time to me it felt very revealing for both Jerry and Joy to uh, for Jerry and Joy for both Jerry and Roy uh, Roman to be to be finding the solace in each other in this moment of crisis, but then also at the same time admitting that they both really need Logan. They both really like it when Logan is in charge, and 
in a way they have all of this like they have all of this ability to communicate but it's because they're both so fully complicit in you know the logan roy project yeah i mean it's i've I've always sort of wondered why anyone on this show wants to be ceo of this company you know because it (laughs) seems like a really scary not thankless i mean it's thanked in 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 terms of salary and power and all that but you know it it doesn't seem like a fun job um Mm -hmm. and i i think that it's interesting to look at you know it's mostly played as a joke when you have uh you know frank and jerry kind of vamping on stage just trying to you know, fill time and talk about the company to all these shareholders who could be retired janitors uh, from Idaho. <laughs> um, and it's like, I, I kind of think about like, oh, I, you know, they they do actually have jobs. Like they, they do know what the business is. They can talk about it. So there is some vague sense of competency, even though this episode is such a noises off kind of doors flying open and characters <laughs> entering and exiting kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there is at least some business there. And what I think uh, as it pertains to Roman and Jerry, was uh, was interesting on that front. So Jerry goes out, Frank kind of throws her under the bus and is like, okay, now please welcome inter- interim CEO Jerry. And she t- is talking about the future of the company and her past with the company, and she calls Roman a visionary. Yes! And he perks up at that in this kind of affectionate, appreciative way, very subtly, so no one really takes notice of it. Um and I think that, you know, you're talking about like the gerontocracy and, you know, the 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 one business or major industry, let's say, that I think in, in this country seems to be a little bit skewing younger is tech, right? And you t- mm-hmm. there's all mm-hmm. talk about visionaries like Zuckerberg and, oh God, who made Twitter? <laughs> What's his name? Jack, uh, Jack, Jack Dorsey. J- Jack yeah. Dorsey. Thank you. Yeah, who no made problem. Twitter. <laughs> um, but... Um, and yes, those people are young, and I you could call them visionaries for good and bad, I suppose. And I just think there's a funny, again, pathetic sort of irony or equality to the fact that, like, oh, gee, what a what a happy coincidence that this young, you know, upstart visionary also happens to be the boss's son. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? right. Uh, I don't know if that's actually true in terms of Roman's business pr- prowess. We've seen him make major f- mistakes and and have some successes. Um, but so they're conscious of the language of evolution, of change, of maybe trying to bring a younger voice in, but it still is stuck in this antiquated ecosystem. You know, they, they can't ever really think about, you know, finding someone from without to, to shake things up. Right. Well, of course, they're, Jerry is just as invested in the, the nepotism of it as, as anyone else, um, even though she's not a member of the family. And it's interesting to me because that um, that speech that she gives, there's a couple of moments, I think it's with Frank, too, where you see they're very deliberately showing you, you know, the, the episode is, is cut, putting kind of a button on it. They're going off script. Like, you see the teleprompter and you see what it says, and then they're not saying what that on stage. Like, which I think is sort of to feed, like, the kind of um, the chaos of this episode. But it's specifically with Jerry mentioning Roman earlier when they had been when jerry and roman and uh shiv i think one other person were in um a meeting well frank probably were in a meeting with um uh the the sandys and um i think something happens jerry said like kind of over overrides something roman says and is like we have to check with your dad about this and roman gets upset he says you have to pick your prince which is a really interesting way of framing it. Like, uh, but then she does. I think that's another interesting way, another interesting decision. And I don't know if that's Jerry's own sense of survival, but throughout the episode, she seems to really see something in Roman. And this episode, Roman goes from someone who says, 
can you please call me when it's less scary when he's looking at the TV to literally fielding a phone call from a very angry president of the United States. Um, I have to say that scene with the phone call is just fantastic. Just the energy is so fantastic. Everyone is like firing on all cylinders. Um, Everyone's like sweating. (laughs) Like I just feel like everyone's freaking out. And then Connor's in the middle like, oh, I want to talk to the president. And this group of people has to come up with some way of making it of, of not directly telling Connor that he can't talk to the president, but getting someone else, anyone but Connor, to talk to the president at the same time. Um, and Jerry puts puts Roman up, you know, brings it up to the plate. He's like, she's like, it's your time. And makes a case to everyone else, says that he's the, um, he's bootleg Logan, if anyone is. Um, and it kind of works out nicely because in that moment, Shiv has got, kind of go, gone off to do her own conniving. So it's not like it's Roman v. Shiv here. It's just, can Roman step up to his own potential? Which is like, it's such a like, uh, it's like a very like patronizing way of seeing him as like a child who like needs to grow up. But at the same time, he is, he is someone who's struggling to like be an adult version of himself. And so if there's something, you know, even though, uh, I presumably loathe the president and loathe whatever Roman is trying to accomplish in talking to the president. I was so proud of Roman for making that whole conversation work. Yeah, I mean, although I will say that it it turned out that it wasn't something that needed to be negotiated. It was just the president being like, I'm not running for a second term, you know, because of this thing that they helped perpetuate about his um, cognitive health. Uh, And so, you know, there you have a third leg in this you know, a third piece of this triptych of failing old men. (laughs) Right. You know, who, who, where all these people are scrambling, uh, for, for their, their seats. Mm. Um, and yeah, so yes, Roman didn't royally screw it up, but there wasn't really much for him to do on that, on his side of the phone call. He could just had to listen to this angry guy be like, I've had enough. I'm, I'm done. Uh, and so then that does potentially, there's been a lot of talk of the administration in, in this season, more so than there has been in past seasons. So you wonder if that does leave room for a new political figure to enter the picture. Right. And of course, Ken Connor's standing there like, let it be me. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that is interesting. And, and yeah, we might as well move, uh, move on and start talking about, about Connor too, because, um, you know, the politics in this show we we had talked a few a few weeks ago about how you know the fat Michelle Ann seems to be working for a very tr- a Trumpian guy, um, but you know my husband mentioned when we were watching this episode that the the neurological capabilities thing and even a president who would leave office for his wife and child sounds a lot more like Biden actually, and that maybe you know this portrait of this fictional president is sort of. Um, maybe a hybrid of the two and maybe giving us some space, giving the show some space to respond with their own political force. Um, Now, of course, Connor in this episode, uh, even though he's so eager to talk to the president, has also sort of finagled his way into Europe, which is not America. He's invaded Europe. (laughs) So, um, yeah, and then the the story there is that he's uh, trying to get Logan to agree to letting him take over European cable. Logan's lucid and is like, yeah, I don't know about this. And then about 10 minutes later, Logan's not lucid anymore. And Connor's like, oh, yeah, dad totally agreed to let me have European cable. Nobody thinks that Logan really signed off on it. Um, but uh, everyone seems to be OK with letting Connor have this. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think back to the the premiere episode of this season when when Connor is tasked with holding down the Balkans yeah, right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So now he's gone from the Balkans to the rest of Europe, I suppose. Um, even though <laughs> his siblings are like, no, 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 he was definitely dad was definitely not in like good health when he said that. I know that for sure. I don't yep. know when he started this whole decline thing, but I know that 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 the European cable thing was part of that. Um, I you know I you also wonder like is it good populist presidential strategy for Connor if, if that's what he wants to do you know for the next election um, to go run european cable doesn't that sound awfully sort of fancy and foreign for 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 someone right. who's running on a populist ticket i don't know yeah do but, they even have like red meat and american flags out there i don't think so i mean maybe in france i don't, I don't know <laughs> yeah it's hard to it's it's hard to i mean clearly connor doesn't know what he's doing either um i guess like the one the, the one thing that I, I found myself wondering about and maybe we'll pick up on this is you know in that scene with the phone call from the president Connor keeps trying to get the phone and no one will give him the phone. And I know that he knows, he seems to have a fairly clear picture of where he stands at the company, but he must have some feeling about it. He must have some sense of resentment or humiliation or, or whatever. And, and, and I'm, I'm curious to see when that emerges. Well, I think, he, I think that some facet of that is revealed in the fact that he is willing to like at least make the threat that he's going to expose, he's going to open right. the, the closet and there, there all the skeletons are, you know? Right. And right. I think because he realizes that that might be one of his last remaining chips, his last bit of leverage. Um, so in in some senses, I feel he has accepted the fact that he is, well, he's, he's turned his doltish black sheep identity into a badge of honor, you know, well, I'm the one who gets it. I'm a man of the people, all that sort of political ambition. Um, then again, you have him showing up to the, the the room where everyone's waiting to you know see what happens with the vote, and and Roman says like, "Oh, good, you're you're a vital part of this." Like very sarcastically, Connor <laughs> says thanks, and he doesn't say thanks all that sarcastically. Right, 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 right. He's willing to accept the illusion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, while we're talking about people who are kind of often doing their own things, let's let's talk about Greg for a little bit, because um, Greg is there the whole time in this episode. But um, his personal situation is uh, is really going through uh, some changes and kind of like Connor, he's sort of trying to make all of this tumult work for him. Um, but what he discovers at the beginning of this episode is uh, that Kendall's thinking about burning him. Um, which means turning him over to the DOJ because uh, Greg's left Kendall's camp is no longer cooperating with the government, is now back at Waystar Royco with like some sort of package. Um, and then when Greg gets worried about that and tries to contact his lawyer, Peter Reiger, we discover that he actually fired that lawyer and now <laughs> Peter Reigert and his grandfather played by James Cromwell like have no faith in him see him as you know nothing but a terrible capitalist and um are giving his inheritance to Greenpeace <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and and Greg is so thrown for a loop like like again in terms of considering possibility and and or inevitability and mortality and all that it doesn't seem to have even though there was talk of this in earlier season, like it doesn't seem to have factored into Greg's thinking that he could be out of the will, you know, and, 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 and his grandfather says, you're, I gave away your, I'm going to give away your part first. Right. And Greg is like, how could you even calculate that? <laughs> you know, 
um it it's you know so now that really puts him further up against a wall he has in his grandfather's eyes at least made his choice once and for all yeah uh and he has in 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 so doing offended the dear friend of his grandfather apparently um and by the way speaking of peter reger i i recently uh watched for the first time the movie crossing delancey i don't mm. know if you've ever seen that with amy irving and peter reger is like the love interest the sexy pick uh, pickle merchant in in the lower east side in the 80s okay um, amazing very good if you want to see him playing younger and 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 you know uh handsome and swoony so anyway <laughs> Um, well, and it, it's funny because uh, I, I really hope we get more from him and more from Cromwell. I'm kind of assuming we do just because it would be so like I, I want to see more about like how they're going to either punish Greg or at least get, see through the end of, of whatever Greg's plot line is going to be for the season. Um, and at the same time, it's just, you know, Greg's like whole mode is hesitation in this, especially over the last few episodes where he's sort of trying to get like sort of trying to work things to his advantage, but then sort of can't bring himself to really use people in the way that he knows he's like kind of supposed to. So instead, he sort of shows up and asks a lot of like stammering questions. And he's like, well, wait, why? Why isn't this working out for me? I don't understand why it's not working out for me. Um I also, you know, I recently was watching Seinfeld and uh, the Greenpeace thing where the end of the episode is Greg out here suing Greenpeace. Like, he's like, how can I somehow sue this charitable organization to get my money back? I just think Greenpeace is, to me, such kind of like a throwback to a specific moment in time. And I think think maybe that's what the... uh, I'm sure that they still exist, but there's something about, uh, you know... James Cromwell's character, Greg's grandfather, uh, and Logan's brother being like, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm divesting from this world of banks and I'm instead going to like harass ships now out in the ocean. Right. Um, that is, that is so funny and seems kind of quaint. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know, and he's thinking about like, he's calling to see if he can sue his grandfather. He's like, is there a way to do that affectionately? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, which is a great Greg line. I believe also, uh, James Cromwell says something like uh, crapulence or something or crapulent about about the yeah. family. He just yeah. uses these great antiquated words. And yeah, Greenpeace, I, I'm sure they're still you know out there doing good work. But 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 yeah, that was a big you know hot button news thing in the 70s and the 80s. You know, with these these images of these boats chasing down whale ships, whaling ships, or whatever else. Um, but yeah, but you know, for this family and everything they value, which Greg is included. Uh, that would be the ultimate violation. This whole amassed fortune, uh, squandered by, you know, wasted by trying to save whales or whatever. Ridiculous! Like ridiculous! <laughs> ridiculous! Um, okay, let's talk about Kendall now. Um, who is uh, man? Well, I I mean, we got to start with Kendall starts this episode talking to Stewie, and we get. Ta-da! A Vanity Fair cameo moment um, where I guess Kendall's just giving Stewie a little bit of a rundown on like his headspace, and Stewie says, "Yeah, save that for Vanity Fair, bro. I'm all good." <laughs> yeah, Kendall says, "I'm all about change." Thank you. Yes, I'm all about change, um, which is kind of an empty corporate platitude, um, and one that uh, we absolutely would record at <laughs> Vanity Fair because a billionaire would be saying it, and that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of a a funny nod to. I mean, and a funny nod to how, like, important that public image, that sort of um, 
that sort of and, and I, I feel like the the word woke has become so problematic and pejorative in the way that it's used. But I think that the way that Kendall is thinking about it is just as limited and sort of frustrating as as that has become, which is just that Kendall wants to be positioned woke in some way. And he's kind of doing everything he can in this episode to sort of to embody that or be that. And I think like the essential takeaway from everyone is they're like, Kendall, we don't care about you. We don't want you here. You don't want to be here. And it's uh, it's creating a little bit of a crisis for him. Yeah, I, I'm thinking back to the line from last week about we don't get embarrassed. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and and Logan, or rather, uh, Kendall does get embarrassed, or and maybe he doesn't always realize that he's made a fool of himself. But he does fancy he does care more about the relative smallness of public opinion than do a lot of his family members. Um, and and I think that is something in some ways an, a, a good thing for him that he is a tiny bit more in tune with uh, discourse that isn't just about board meetings and shareholders and all that, but but something a, a bit bigger and more widespread. But at the same time, he's not as savvy about it as he thinks he is. Yeah. Um, and that's where that sort of embarrassment starts to come in. Um, you know, he is definitely debased at the end of this episode. Um, by this nasty little trick with him going to this tiny room to wait for his dad, who of course was never going to show up. Um, and you know, so I, I, you, you really, it's hard to really feel tons of empathy for, for Kendall ever, but in this episode, all of his kind of whiz bang, you know, trying to make a statement by saying the names of the women who were horribly treated by this company, you know, it, it just routinely fails him. And, and yet he is so much more keenly aware of how that failure wor- looks to the outside world than anyone else in his family even thinks about, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't care yeah. what, what Twitter is saying about them, but he, yeah. but Kendall deeply does. Kendall deeply does. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I thought a lot, you know, so, so his stunt in the show, I think is just pure. I mean, I found it to be sort of pure comedy. Like it, 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 it is really We've talked we've talked before about how, you know, the the victimized people, the victimized women of Waystar Royco have not really had much of a presence. We know they exist. The family knows they exist. But, you know, they're they're very much out of sight, out of mind. Um, and he Kendall goes on stage and interrupts, interrupts Tom and tries to um, tries to make this uh, a thing, says all of their names and this sort of like boring sort of intonation even here it strikes so hollow like even even for us who who i think have more investment in like who the victims of waystar royco on even for us it comes off as empty and sort of pathetic which i thought was kind of interesting oh yeah entirely hollow opportunist um you know i i, I don't know if a shareholders meeting is really the best a right. venue for that kind of reflection and 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 acknowledgement i mean it, it can't it those those shareholders should be piercingly aware of these people and their names and what happened to them but but yeah he, he he's just this this episode is kendall i think realizing at least in this this round this battle that he has lost and that he is quickly quickly losing leverage as expressed at the end of the episode because you know logan's like block that phone number he doesn't need him anymore. They 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 avoided the takeover. What what else can Kendall offer at this point? And you know, all Kendall has now is this kind of weird half half successful public 
you know, opinion sort of re, you know, makeover that he's done for himself. You know, and the other thing is that Kendall really wants to be in the room. I, I think like um, the the moments when he comes in and confronts Roman and Shiv are some of, to me, some of the most interesting and kind of fraught because there's genuinely an actual power vacuum at play. Like, Kendall could step into this power vacuum, but he's positioned himself so poorly and kind of seems, um, his, his, he always seems like he's blustering when he's trying to uh, assert himself that no one is, no one is interested or, or impressed with him. Um, and I think, I think he just really wants to be relevant um, yeah. and just simply cannot be. You know, he even his his expensive um, PR team headed by Barry Schneider, who's in this episode, are like, do not go like they don't want him to go on stage. He he keeps saying that he doesn't like being absent. And she says, well, your very absence has a certain power, which is a great sort of PR speak for like, please shut the fuck up. Um, but you know, he's like, well, this my absence makes me feel like a little bitch. Like he can't, he really can't let go that need. Um, all of the things that Shiv and Roman say to him when he shows up and starts like shouting about the fact that clearly Logan is unwell, um, are like really funny and cutting too. Yeah. Um, like. Like, uh, Kendall keeps saying, like, you are not welcome. Like, no, I'm sorry, not Kendall. Roman keeps saying, like, thank you for your concern. <laughs> like, please, you're, and then, like, you are not welcome and you have no right to be here. Um, that's an imaginary cat. Now fuck off. Um, just, like, it's sort of, um, it's so farcical, but, you you know, it really means a lot to Kendall. And and he's not with his family in this moment. And I think that's that's part of the part of the loss. And it really, those bits where, you know, you're not welcome here, all that stuff, that really stuck out to me, too, because it felt like the first time we've really seen the siblings be like, we're done with you. Like, you don't you don't have any place here. Go away. You've you've created all these problems. Um, We're not really interested in negotiating. We think we have this sorted out on our own. And therefore, we don't need to make nice with you. And um, as much as Kendall and his siblings are forever at war going back to, you know, all the way to the beginning of the show, there is still some need, affection, some some combination of those things in play, uh, at least for him, that seems to have exhausted uh, in, in everyone else. And, yeah. um, you know, he's very much alone in this episode. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. They do have it under control, and we're going to talk about Shiv in a second, but Kendall is still right about their dad. And that's the problem. At the end of right. the episode, yep. that's the problem. Logan has, I mean, and I, I wanted to, I really want to hit this because I think it's important. Logan's issues hurt him. Logan's issues hurt himself the most. And now he's afraid of people seeing him weak. So he's lashing out and he's he's lashing out at the people who fixed all of his problems for him. He's lashing out at Kendall for, you know, genuinely just for like trying to do the right thing, at least in some capacity. And as much and as everyone around uh, around Logan is like, oh, Kendall, you are the bad guy. You shouldn't be here. At the end of the episode, everyone's like, oh, right. Logan's a piece of shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. that is important to hit home. Yeah. I mean, Shiv, you know, sets up what seems to be a fairly decent deal yeah. with little Sandy. Yeah. And then is in really embarrassing fashion. I mean, they don't get embarrassed, but other people would find this embarrassing. <laughs> Uh, he just berates her and she has to laugh and say, and it looks like someone's feeling better in this very sad way. 
Yeah, I mean, let's so let's like talk about so and it's very funny to me because last week we had talked about Shiv wearing pencil skirts and I'm probably I'm not going to digress about wardrobe too much. But this week she is wearing a pencil skirt and I thought it was actually first I was like, oh, man, I've been smacked in the face by my own uh, convictions. But then throughout the episode, I was like, you know, I think I don't think I'm like inventing this. I think she's uncomfortable in that pencil skirt. I think there's something about her discomfort and also impossible challenges of being the Roy daughter, the only Roy daughter, where she is, she has to take on a role and uh, a way that the way that people see her that she doesn't want, but she has to do it anyway in order to like move forward in some way. Um, I, I really, I really felt for her in this episode. I mean, Shiv has been purely poisoned by all girl boss energy and like everything like all of the work that she's doing for her father is like in service of a corrupt company that that like hurts people and we know this but you know last week we had talked about how she like finally kind of starts cracking skulls and getting things done and this week you see Shiv is capable of negotiating Shiv is capable of doing this sort of back channel deal of making the phone call and of saying like we don't have to tell our dads about this for us to like make a deal and move forward, which is exactly the type of behavior that Logan like ought to be applauding her for because that's how that's what he would have done. Like that's how that's how he w- wants her to be ostensibly, but he can't actually maintain a threat to his power for this long. And the fact that she's a girl, I think, really does bear a bear on this. Like she doesn't have a board seat, but I believe Roman and Kendall both have board seats, right? And when uh, at the end of the episode, when she starts uh, trying, she's trying to get a little bit more recognition from her dad and he yells at her for buzzing in his ear, which to me is like, you're a secretary, you're a secretary and you are like speaking above your station. Um, You need to go back to your your typewriter and sit down. Yeah. And and this is, you know, in uh, following the thing last episode where he was like, you know, they, they they're not happy with how, you know, your your involvement here, like you need to step back or whatever. And right. Um, yeah. And I also think that that the Shiv uh, struggling in her position in her father's eyes and the company's eyes is uh, compounded by this bizarre interlude in which Tom, in in an effort to congratulate her, but also I think in in one swift move, he's trying to repair something that is much more broken than a kind of moment of whimsy can, can fix. Uh, He's like, well, talk about getting pregnant and he's Mm -hmm. been monitoring her ovulation cycles to some, you know, I don't know how closely, but he's aware of it. And not creepy at all. No, 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 it's not creepy. It's not creepy. It's nice. It's nice. Um, You know, and she, well, she, she freaks out about that because it is creepy. Uh, to some extent, because they had this is not a, a mutual dialogue that they're having about her ovulation, but also because it's like, are you 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 still see me as being put in that box of you know getting pregnant and having a kid that waiting for you when you get out of prison? Um, put one in for when you get out. Like, you know, am I? You know, she. I think she like she, she says the term breed. You don't want to breed me. You know, right, right. um, and uh, that is. You know, she could do both. I mean, Jerry has kids, but right. um, yeah, I think she's really chafing against the way that she could very easily, in a very sexist company, in a very sexist world, 
uh, be sidelined solely for the fact that she's a woman. Nothing else. None of her successes, none of her failures would do her in. It's just something innate about her, which is maybe to some extent what the other children, the other Roy children are, are, are kind of realizing in this episode, minus maybe Roman, who has deftly, more deftly played this game than the others. Right. No, I mean, Roman is... Maybe Roman sees his dad the most clearly in a way, too, and then sort of fully accepts him. But I feel like we've seen Shiv really trying to get Logan's approval, right, throughout this whole season and being kind of blind to his manipulations, sort of convincing herself that she could be she could be the favorite child. Um, and I think Logan's toyed with her on it, you know, all of last season with the with the Pierces. It was this idea, you know, it was like, oh, well, I guess they're into feminism. So let's kind of throw them, you know, this one, this kid. Let's see what happens. Um, but, you know, I th- throughout this episode, the so much of the Shiv, Shiv is often in in any given scene in this episode, the one that is trying to build consensus, the one that is trying to um solicit different opinions and then see you know if there's like common ground that can be found and then she's the one that's like shouldn't we do this doesn't someone have to do something now like don't we need to do something about this deal she takes over running a whole bunch of things administratively yes perhaps but in a way that also is like necessary leadership for what's happening maybe it's not exactly i don't know it then she gets no credit for it she gets no credit for it like no respect for it i mean she gets some credit from some of the other people in the company. You know, Frank at the end of the episode, like, makes a point of saying, like, Shiv, I think you really pulled something together here. And that's great. And as as soon as I mean, this moment's really heartbreaking. As soon as she tries just a little more affection from Logan, just a little bit more recognition from him, he really crushes her. I mean, that is a crushing moment. And she yeah. she plays it off really well. She's like, ha ha, I guess he back. He's back on his energy. And then she goes, she sort of retreats to Tom, who kind of gives her a hug that she doesn't even want. And then um, this is such a small moment, but Roman comes up to Logan after and is like, oh, was she being a real bitch? Like, you know, hey, dad, the women suck. And Shiv sees that. And I can see that she's heartbroken by that, too. And she sort of tries to, like, get Roman to look at her and sort of tries to smile at him. And she's sort of trying to say, like, oh, I can do this. I'm, like, one of you guys. But she's not. They keep telling her she's not. And I I feel so frustrated on her behalf, just that, like, there's nothing she can do. This is a very impossible set of circumstances for her to try to succeed. And maybe by the end of the episode, she's seeing it, that she's like, this is never going to work. These people are never going to see me. My dad is never going to see me as someone who can really be the CEO. But I don't know. Yeah. And especially all all the more poignant in its way, because when we first meet Shiv in this show, she's she's the not the apostate exactly, but she's doing other things. She's working for more progressive causes or politicians. And she's you know, she she has defined herself by her her lack of royness you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then you know the her journey thus far in the show has been re-enter you know entering the the fray entering the sort of hive mind and the core of this company and her her, her father's uh tempers and all that um and and she's still not getting what she wants even though she's she's kind of followed the line as best as she can now um and you know you also do wonder if her 
uh, earlier shivs, uh, sort of, I'm no, I'm, I'm not part of this company. I'm different than you guys. If that was itself a ploy to sort of get her father's attention, you know, not mm, not to say that mm. she didn't have the values or whatever, but like I think she's kind of shown that she hasn't. But but you know, the, all of these kids are just minus Roman, kind of, but still him, uh, just so jockeying in their own sad ways to um, to get. Uh, the clouds to break and the sun to shine on them in the form yes. of their father in a way that's never going to happen. And p- I think that is part of the panic about him being dying. It's it, yes, it's about the company. It's about who takes over, but it's also like, I may never get closure on this ever. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's like, the, yeah, like this is our last chance. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really brutal. Um, We've talked a little bit about the parallels between Jerry and Shiv. And I just wanted to bring up that, um, so not only is the pencil skirt in play, but also like at the very, you know, at the very end when Logan yells at Shiv, he's trying to have a conversation with Jerry and you get a few cutaways to J. Smith Cameron's face. And I felt I felt like I saw Jerry both being like, I know exactly what Shiv is going through and I know that what she's doing is about to blow up like he she's she's pushing too hard. This guy can't see her this way. I thought that was kind of interesting, too. I, I, I don't. I don't anticipate like an actual alliance there or something, um, which is maybe a pity. But I can see you. You find your. I find myself wondering, like, given what we know about women at this company in other arenas, like, what has Jerry been through in order to get to where she is? And she does, you know, make a point of emphasizing when she stumbles on stage and has to make up remarks uh, that she's been there for thirty years. Yes. And I mean, this person has put in the time. And yep. in all of those years, I mean, granted, she doesn't have the sort of filial thing with, with Logan that, that obviously his children do. But, it, you know, after all of that work that she's put in, all the time she's put in interim CEO, you yeah. know, like, yep. and st- okay, so you're at the top sort of, but it's a very precarious place. And you see her throughout this episode shirking off certain things that maybe she would otherwise you know she would take the president's call she would go on stage and vamp for as long as she needed to um and but but not wanting to expose herself even though she is the most prominent person in the company sort of at this point yeah yeah that's a great point and i think um i I think just to like the show the episode kind of put a button on it because you get a few glimpses of um whatever like in-house video they made about like how much Waystar Royco like believes in women and um it's both Jerry and Shiv doing these like terrible corporate platitudes like to the camera um so really it's a, it's a really interesting observation and i and i kind of appreciate that the show is also not trying to say like this problem of these entitled women not being recognized at this big billion dollar company is not like the biggest problem in the world it's not the biggest problem that's happening right now but it is a problem. It is a problem that's happening that these these people in charge literally don't seem to be able to see women outside of the this kind of the female sphere, um, which it goes back to the whole pregnancy thing. I mean, I don't know exactly what Tom was thinking. I mean, well, no, I mean, I, I'm sure we can imagine exactly what Tom was thinking. He's going through a lot. He I think kind of it's very human of him to be like, maybe we could invest a little in the future here. Like we keep talking about all this money and all of this power. Like, wouldn't it be nice to maybe have more people to share it with or like something like that? But, you know, family and like re- and like, you know, having a baby like for Shiv, like is not something it's just not even on her radar. It's like 
but but that unwanted mantle you know of the of the the female sphere the female responsibilities keep like coming down on her anyway yeah poor shiv i don't know yes poor shiv <laughs> poor everyone i suppose <laughs> poor everyone so this week, uh, our our colleague Joy Press is talking to Sarah Snick, who plays Shiv, and Matthew McVagin, who plays Tom Wamscans, about this big episode for them and uh, what it means. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. At eBay, you'll always get that feel of real because your fashion purchase will be backed by authenticity guarantee. Whether it's a knit bag, a must-have watch, dreamy jewelry or fire sneakers and fresh streetwear, every step will feel authentic, every flex will feel real. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay authenticity guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. talk to you today about episode five, which is the big shareholder meeting. So, um, and, and, you know, things that have come before that. So, but I wanted to ask you, Shiv and Tom's relationship seems to be on quicksand um, in season three. Um, Can you talk a little bit about where, where the characters uh, stand, where the relationship stands? At that point in the series, you mean? Yeah, I mean, really kind of up to that point in season three, it seems like they are rather um, touchy with each other. Well, we picked up right after season, I mean, really, it's after that scene on the beach in Croatia, and then we go into panic mode, don't we? I mean, there's seamless, it just goes straight on. So we haven't really had time to To digest talk or deal with it. And really, if you think about it, we've only just gotten married. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm still reeling from the open marriage thing. Yeah, it doesn't bode well at this point. No. Um, yeah, but uh, I think quicksand's a good good descriptor for sure. It's it is it, it does feel like that in a lot of ways. I think I also realized, you know, in talking about this recently, is um, that they've previously had a long term strategy for what their relationship is going to be and what their careers and life and how it's going to look and they'll get married and Tom will be in ATN and then he will move up somehow and Shiv will be in politics. But then, uh, you know, beginning of season two, when Shiv's offered the CEO, you know, like that's, that blows it all up. And that now they're having a, having to manage a marriage and a relationship uh, new as, as newly part of the family and also as newly career together, you know, like Shiv, 
was outside before and now Shiv is very much in Tom's space and it is also Shiv's own like she's it's her space originally so it's a it's an interesting position for them I think and so yeah and also there's there's a sort of awful threat of um possible jail time hanging over Tom and them both and you know Tom, you know, they've talked about having a baby maybe and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, all these normal things for families and marriages to have to deal with, jail time and babies. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I, I love the, the, uh, the detail that uh, he started uh, tracking her periods. Not creepy. It is creepy, though. It is. <laughs> it's supposed to be fun. How do you not laugh when you're, when you're doing that scene? I mean, that scene is just... <laughs> Very hard. It was difficult. I, we 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 didn't. There were there were plenty of times where we were not able to get through it. And also, I mean, they didn't use them, but like so many like "fuck you" moments as she's leaving. I just, which I loved, and they were so difficult to get through as well. It, yeah, I'm driving to your sexy window. I say to you at one point. Yeah, I loved the like taking your basal. What are you trying to take my basal temperature with your dick? Like. <laughs> It's oh. So some of those some of those alt lines didn't make it into the uh, no final version. That's a shame. <laughs> um, does does Shiv have a sense of what she wants other than kind of Logan's affection? Oh, I think she, yeah, she wants success and and uh, stability and and um, she wants to to win. I think in in terms of. Um, uh, the the company but also in terms of uh the competition within the family to appear the most normal and stable uh i think and part of that was 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 getting married in the first place um and uh you know i think the realization is that you're always going to be a roy and you're probably never going to be normal and stable and you're never going to like um you're never going to win at that so maybe that's what this season's about for her as well and i think tom tom is belatedly Realizing that, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Some some would say that uh, that Greg is Tom's true romance on the show. <laughs> well, I think Greg's probably is. It's a complicated relationship, but it's probably a little simpler than his and Shiv's, which makes it really devastating when Tom does try to, you know, when he tried to break up with him in halfway through season two, because it was just a repeat. But I think, yeah, I. Yeah, there's a lot in there. They're, they're, they're his two main relationships, I'd say, in the show. He's yeah. um, he's quite he's quite sweet to to Greg at times in this in this season. Um, yeah, I think he's, he enjoys being a sort of mentor figure, father figure, even. And then he just can't help himself, but you know, kind of kick the cat <laughs> uh, because think- he's so much shit himself you know it's really hard not to i think that just yeah yeah it's the the bully is often the bullied absolutely and uh yeah that that's 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 me then bullying uh tom and then i'm being bullied my dad and so round and round we go right right Right, it's like dominoes yeah totally the 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 scenes uh Matthew, the scenes with with you and um, Nick Braun are so kind of unpredictable and and uh, 
tense sometimes. How how much do you prepare for those for those kinds of scenes? Um, I don't. I, I I tend to just I learn my lines and I just let them sort of percolate. You know, in the days and weeks before we get to shoot them and you know, use my imagination and, and also, and just bounce off Nick, you know, like, like, you know, like I bounce off Sarah and bounce off, you know, if you're working with such talented actors, it's really, it's really, I'm full of anticipation as to what they're going to do in the scene. So, you know, there's not, I come in with too much preparation or thought. It's not always useful. It's you, you you can become unstuck a bit because you, you're not sort of, what's exciting is seeing what they're going to do and how you, with together I guess um yeah. got these we've got the gift of these amazing scenes you know so um you just sort of jump in episode five has very high stakes um <laughs> and and in the middle of it all Logan goes piss mad <laughs> <laughs> what a great phrase the demented piss mad king of England just exactly um and it, that that feels like a kind of perfect um phrase that every everyone around him is sort of uh terrified of saying that the emperor has no clothes um i mean for for shiv is that is that out of kind of worship or or fear of kind of crossing logan well i mean she also is the uh, the only one at the end who who in the end sorry uh actually does something about it so i think there's something about Shiv, there's a little bit Logan in that she's she can flick the switch and be less empathetic and and more practical, pragmatic, business minded. Got to get this thing done, like like the person who's dealing with a car crash who doesn't really conceive of what's going on other than we got to get these things done in this order to to save this company, save this life. Um, but I yeah I I I think you know. It is always a risk going against Logan. It's always a risk crossing. But uh, but at the same time, again, Shiv is similar to Logan in that, like, the company is the priority. And also I think she knows long-term she can save the company, then that's always going to win the affection of her dad. Just in the short term, of course, Logan's in a, you know. In the, uh, in the finale of season two, it seemed like Logan was kind of disappointed because Shiv didn't want to, make the hard choice of choosing a fall guy for the company. And yet, as you said, she really kind of comes through in this episode. It's like the, the two, the two sideline daughters. Totally. Yeah. Make a deal. I mean, yeah, totally. And I think that's, that, that that's probably uh, signifying a little bit of growth, you know, as well, like where she's, she's been told and, and schooled, I think with, with, with him saying, you know, you've, got to make these hard decisions if you're going to be ceo uh and i think she takes that on board and um and and in this position as well you know she likes being the person in the room who's got the plan and who's like right rally round let's go we're going this way um <laughs> so just needs her brothers to follow her all the time um matthew tell me a little bit about Tom um, in season three, because I sort of, it felt like he was um, in some ways a, a real sort of arrogant opportunist. And, and by this point he's in season three, he's sort of willing to sacrifice himself. Is he kind of playing the long game or was there a shift? 
I don't know. I think he genuinely. I don't. I don't. I don't know how calculating he is. Um. I think that sort of comes to him. You know, the idea of offering himself up to Logan. I mean, what what else is he's got? Nothing else to lose, really. I mean, he's, you know, he's going to take the rap for it, and so maybe he's sort of yeah. I mean, maybe there's there's an element of sort of they're all survivors, really. You know, they have to be in that world. So there's an element of trying to sort of what's the best worst outcome. Yeah, uh, and then it's that beautifully written scene which we did when he sort of you know he sees in Shiv. The sort of yeah, that could be a good idea, which is sort of the worst thing a wife could say to a husband, but actually is a practical, hard-nosed way of looking at it. You know, you bank yeah. gold with my dad. Yeah. Probably only serve a year in jail, right? So might be okay. Might be a good I mean, strategy. I mean it's cool and sort of brilliant at the same time. Yeah. So um That's the thing, like oftentimes the scenes that we find the funniest are the ones that don't have the line, like between you and I perhaps, don't have the lines that, that are the comedy lines, but are this the most painless response from a from a wife or Yeah. Yeah. It's the looks in between the line, you know, it's not about what they're saying always. It's the painful but... silence in between. It's the drinking wine and, and not listening. The it's Yeah, we we sometimes talk about shows um, you know, being the comedy of cringe. This is definitely like the tragedy of cringe. It's excruciating. Good, yeah. It's a good description. Yeah. His obsession with jail um really sort of gets raised to the uh to an art form. It's (laughs) scary. What can I say? I mean not that scary. It's just jail. It won't be that long. How long am I allowed to when's lights out? When, how long am I allowed to read? Yeah. yeah. How long are you allowed to exercise for? Yeah. I mean, do I have to go to the toilet in front of somebody else? How does it work? Yeah. You know, all these do questions I, going yeah. around his head. Yeah. And he's running a big, you know, he's running ATN. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to think about. <laughs> and, and trying to have a baby ahead of time so that there's yeah. a kid waiting for you. Yeah. Very organized, very thoughtful. Yeah. They called it, what did they call it once? The mole? Like you were trying to plant a mole in my womb <laughs> while you were inside. One on the inside, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Um, Alan Alan Ruck um, uh, said that you were the cast goof, Matthew. That you uh, that you are often um, break break people up. I I don't recognize that description at all. I think that's unfair, Alan. <laughs> Take it very seriously. The implication yeah. that I might be unprofessional sometimes is <laughs> take lightly, yeah. Sarah would back me up. Definitely. Oh, no, Matthew's the most boring of us all. I like to be, I, you know, I like to just get through it and, you know. Yeah, head down. Yeah. You, you're busy. You're, you're busy working hard. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. Always. Not there to sort of have fun, you know. <laughs> we, have, we have trouble sometimes. Because the scenes are so funny. I mean. Right. Defy anyone. I mean, you know, it's really, it's really tough. Um, anyway, I, I love it. Yeah. Well, there are also these these virtuosic kind of group scenes um, in you know in in many episodes, and in this episode again, you have this gathering of people, and so many things are going on. Um, how choreographed is it? 
I mean, it's not a lot of I, talking to one of the editors last night. They were like, we've got so much footage to go through because we stay in the general area, but in order to get it to cut together, there's a lot that gets discarded because oftentimes we're not in the same spot or we're not saying the same line at the same time or we've improvised something or but that gives it its looseness and freedom and I think the a lot of its vitality. Yeah. And we have three cameras, you know, two or three cameras on all the time. So it's, you know, it allows us to be very loose with it. But that that episode five is a good example, isn't it? Because we mm. like that there's a long must be over 10 pages, that whole sequence. Yeah, it was like 15. It was almost Really? 15. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole, and it just sort of, uh, you only find that with a group of actors, it's like rehearsing a play, you know, yeah. you find it with rehearsal and, you know, and you sort of finesse it, the more takes you do. Yeah. It did feel like that, like a play, that one as well. And yeah. it felt like a French farce or, or totally. um, like Tom and Jerry or something like Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yes, with Tom, with Tom, Tom, uh, you know, escorting Logan back and forth to the toilet, and the imaginary cat coming out in the bag, and then you know, it's just and all the all the while, these huge high stakes are happening in another room off stage, you know. So it's sort of it's a classic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's... My favorite also is like, <laughs> well, thanks, Pop, Papa. <laughs> Susan, one of the writers, just came in and just said. Just say in this one take, and so I thought, okay, it was. It's so genius. Yeah. It seems like such a strange afterthought, and so you know, he can't hear him. him. Yeah, yeah. Because he won't like, oh, benefit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he won't remember because, of course, he's out of his head. That's right. Yeah, I really felt for Tom this season. Like, I've got yeah. There's so much. Really, you're like, oh man. Yeah, the pathos really comes through for yeah. Tom in this season. Yeah. Um, so, Shiv, you were sort of the, the token liberal Roy. Now you are inside. You're inside the evil empire. Yeah. Um, is there a line that, that Shiv won't cross? That is interesting. Is there a line ship won't cross? I don't know. I I, I hope to find it. Um, that 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 seems like a great uh, area to be playing in. I think um, she certainly crosses a line when she writes a very damning public letter about her brother. Um, she, I think, something very interesting about Shiv that I love playing is that she has a an extraordinary ability to justify her actions to herself uh, as necessary or um, or obvious as an action to have taken. Um, and so where that line is, I don't know yet, but we'll find it one day. There's a brilliant, it's, it's so interesting. There's a brilliant when you go and you go and try and sort of recruit Lisa, Arthur, and you have a sort of mini fit when it doesn't work. There's that sort of element of like, you know, which yeah. is so, which is really Shiv as well. You know, it's a sort yeah. of. I think we've seen new elements of Shiv this season. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of that you get, and you see it with the, with the, with the boys as well. It's that not getting your own way. Yeah. Thing. You know, it's like, make it happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah. It's 
like a foot stamping thing. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and, and Logan, Logan has it too, you know. He yeah. won't. He sort of won't compromise until he until the FBI are at the door. Yeah, you know, battering rounds. So stubborn. Yeah, and 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 yeah, uncompromising. Yeah. This this season has kind of um, some fun with the malign power of ATN. I mean, they pushed the president <laughs> to the breaking point. You know, um, I, during during uh, COVID, I feel like we've really seen the power of Republican media to affect public health. Um, I wondered if you guys ever feel qualms in terms of, um, you know, humanizing people who are, um, you know, playing these like very serious games because there are parallels to kind of real news. I mean, Tom is, you know, um, seems seems to have some uh, discomfort, um, but he's still, you know, happy to push around ATN. Oh, I was just going to say, you remind me of this. Um... This quote, I can't remember who it was by recently. Um, Jeremy would know. He's, he quotes and always knows the person it's coming from. Um, yeah. No, but someone said recently uh, that those who talk about us and them, like there is no us and them. It's only uh, the, the danger is talking about us and them. And so humanizing um, people who do despicable things, I think, is a very important thing, I would say, in that, like, we are the ones who do those despicable things as well. You know, it's a, we have to, we have to know, we have to know both sides. We have to know, um, we have to see each other as human, I think, uh, if we're going to move forward. I mean, you, and it, because otherwise, you know, you have, yeah. I mean, it's true. You have to kind of, you have to tell these stories and, you know, and everyone's, you know, no one's sort of soulless or, you know, inherently evil. And you know, um, they're all sort of peddling agendas and, yeah. It's also nice to like, you know, play a billionaire and realize that money doesn't make you happy. You know? <laughs> and, and if that's a message that can get out into the world, then great. Because right. there's a whole lot of uh, hero worshipping of, of, of money and wealth and, and fame, I think, these days. And this at least casts a bit of a dark shadow over that. Yeah. Right. Although I imagine some people watch it and go like, well, they're not happy, but at least they have their private jets. <laughs> I hope not. Like, <laughs> miss the point. Yeah. Yeah. The the you know the the negotiations in this episode are hilarious. Where you know the thing that gets Roman most upset is the idea that they're going to lose yeah. their their PJs. Yeah. yeah. First they come for the PJs, then they come for the outsized compensation payments. It's like you <laughs> asshole. You don't get it. He says he says the unsayable thing out loud, Roman. Yes, always, always. Sharon does. <laughs> oh, so so are there particular people who who really um, are fun to play off of in terms of uh, the unpredictable improvs? Kieran's Kieran's deadly, isn't he? It's deadly. It's a great word for it. Yeah. It's so yeah. quick. It's, it's speed of thought is so fast. Yeah, so, um, it's great. I mean, it's it's easier for me because to, Tom is slower, you know, and so I can pretend it's Tom being, you know, if I'm if I'm improvising with Kieran. But yeah, he's super. He's lightning quick and very funny. I mean, it's easier for me as well in that, like, I think we've both sort of 
quite uh, judiciously made choices about our characters that allow us a little space and airtime with um, a moment to just, you know, process an accent. So Shiv just keeps her mouth shut a lot of the time. <laughs> oh, no, no, banging on her, yeah. It's very good. Nick is brilliant. I, my favourite is being able to, like, hopefully have my scenes scheduled you know, back to uh, something that Tom and Greg get to do because then I may, might be able to be at the split and watch. <laughs> really fun. Really, do people stand around and watch other people's uh, other people's yeah, scenes? Yeah, yeah, that's why it's so it's so exciting watching the show for me because, you, of course, you know, even though it's an ensemble piece, you don't. There's a lot of stuff you just don't see. You know, you get an idea of the table read or whatever, but to to see this, the, these wonderful scenes is a real treat. Because you obviously you don't see them and you forget it, you know. Yeah, or you, you then you know wondering which take they're going to use or which which part or which joke or which gag bit, you know. There was a moment where it was really fun. Our last day shooting um, this season, uh, there was a scene that was happening in um, uh, an office room, and I was in there first, and then Roman had to go in. I had to go get. It was like a camera kept rolling and so Kieran had been like at the split watching and then would when on his cue would then go over and like go into the scene which you know some actors might find that quite distracting and I was lucky that I came second so then when I came off the scene I went to the split and started watching his half of the scene and so it was this really fun thing where we're like tag teaming each other in I was like you know felt like we were in a tennis match or something like all right your turn get in there you know this is um is it hard to sort of like wash Tom and Shiv off at the end of the day or uh, when you've had a particularly intense scene or no, you just walk uh, out and have a drink? Just, just shed her, leave her behind. I'll take some elements with me. I like her confidence and, and there are some things that I've learned from her that I'm like, okay, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a nice, you know. Well, I always say this and I don't know whether you agree, but it's, you, you take little parts of the, characters you play and you know and you can sort of it's actually acting as great therapy because you can sort of you can either borrow like qualities that you aspire to like confidence or dynamism and also you can sort of get out all the really disgusting things you know (laughs) like i could like tom is so excruciatingly awful sometimes that it's sort of wonderful just to sort of do that yeah i feel like i've got it out of my system or the book you know be a big shouty bully or you know whatever and then revert being back to normal lovely yeah. Matthew. great yeah it's probably good for the people in your lives that you that you've got a place to exercise it right yeah. do people recognize you on the street now and what what do they what do they want to what what catchphrases do they want to hear from you often you go when's it when's it coming back yeah and you quite semi-aggressively and you're like, uh, I think like the awesome, and they like, are you sure? When? Uh, well, I'm not really sure. Well, like October, November. Uh, yeah, around then. Okay, thanks. Bye, bye. Sounds <laughs> very New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No selfies. Just when's it coming back? We need. Yeah. So that's I'm quite lucky that I don't have a catchphrase at all or anything like that. So no one yells anything at me. They just go like, "Oh, look out!" Sometimes They're I. Probably- Sometimes I get people shouting Greg at me. Not because they <laughs> am Greg, it's just that they associate Greg! Greg! Yo, Greg! And that's it. 
Hello. Yeah. You can see why why uh, why actors sometimes go out in uh, in disguise. <laughs> well, great. Um, I really appreciate you uh, you talking to us. No right, worries. Well. Of course, right. you're welcome. All right. Well, that's going to do it for uh, this episode. Thank you again for listening. Um, please, again, you can email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. You can send us messages on subtext. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll be here next week to discuss episode six. Until then, Sonia, where can people find you? Well, hopefully I'll be interviewing Kendall Roy about how, you know, his mind's really set on change right now and whatever it is, whatever that he doesn't want to tell Stewie um, and is saving for Vanity Fair. Hopefully that's what I'll be doing. Um, But yeah, you can find me on VF.com. And I will be uh, making plans to go home for Thanksgiving where I hope my mom calls me a visionary Uh, (laughs) or someone does. Someone, please. (laughs) I want to be a visionary. Uh, And I'll be tweeting at Rylas and writing at VF.com. Uh, As ever, this episode was edited and produced by Dave Gonzalez. Thanks, Dave. And thank you guys for listening. Talk to you soon. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh, my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.